Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're going to go to Dr. James Tour in Houston. Dr. Tour is probably the uh, highest IQ I know. He's the only person I know that would have been potentially in line for a Nobel Prize. Um, he, he's a professor at Rice University. He holds a triple appointment. I'm going to have him tell what that triple appointment is. I don't know that I've ever heard, know of somebody to have appointment in three different distinct areas. I believe he went to Syracuse University, came to the Lord. I, I grew up uh, Orthodox Jew in, I think, in the New York area. And then, then what, what moved me most, first time we met, uh, was the fact that, I don't know, for 30 years or so, he's memorized scripture from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. each morning. He's touched my heart deeply. Uh, when my first wife was fighting cancer hard, we ended up uh, going to Houston many times to MD Anderson. Uh, his family took us in. Well, she was in the hospital, but they took me in. And when I would come back at midnight uh, in a beautiful little apartment near their house, and I'd come back at midnight, my clothes would all be washed, laying out. There'd be food for me. Uh, it was a tender time for me. Uh, staying in the little provision that they made for me. It was just absolutely wonderful. Their family took me in. He's a, he's, he has an incredible ministry with college students, has college students in his home every Sunday afternoon for I think 30 some years. And they kind of stay forever. He feeds them all, loves on them. Uh, he's a man who, uh, as far as I know, has gone to a, a prayer chapel almost every day uh, where he is. And he is unbelievably humble considering the brilliance he brings to the table. Jim Tour, you are a hero to me. I love you and bless you. Now, I'm going to ask you to add or subtract from whatever I've just said autobiographically there and uh, tell them more. And then I would like you to talk to us, what is a nano a nanoparticle? What is the award you won internationally in Paris? What was that? What does that tell us about the origin of life and then what kind of a price have you paid for being a christ follower in the scientific realm we welcome you we'll listen to you thank you pastor jim um uh, so, so let, let me correct a little bit my iq isn't very high i'm just blessed by jesus christ because jesus is the best in every way and what he does is he takes the base things of the world and the despised and he lifts us up and he make he he, he lifts us up from the ash heap, and he makes us sit with nobles. And that's exactly what he has done. Uh, I was not an Orthodox Jew. I was a very secular Jew. And uh, so I just wanted to correct that. And, and uh, yeah, very secular. But I did give my life to Jesus. And Jesus uh, just came in my room when I was 18 years old after a young man and the navigators had shared with me. And, uh, and everything has been different since that day. November 7th, 1977, when I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, we do have college students in, in our home every, every week. Uh, uh, since COVID, we've had them outside the home. Back when things were shut down, we, we were, my wife was doing curbside pickup before curbside pickup was a thing. And, uh, and then, then uh, as soon as we could, we started opening it back up for having meals outside every week. And if I go a week, without leading somebody to Jesus, it's, I just feel demoralized that week. 
Uh, I just want to tell people about Jesus and see them come to Jesus. And it's not up to the man who wills or the man who runs, but the God who has mercy. And, uh, and, and he's the one, God is the one that uh, uh, brings these people and turns their heart. And they see that the resurrection is true. And uh, uh, we focus right in on the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the evidence for that is so strong that they bow their knee to Jesus again and again. And I would say 90, 95% of the people that I share with, they give their life to Jesus within a, within a 30 to 40 minute session. And uh, I just see it over and over again, no matter what their educational status, I do it with professors, with students, with graduate students, with postdocs, with physicians, again and again, they give their life to Jesus. Uh, so so what, what, what's, a, what's a nanoparticle? Well, we, we, we work with a lot of different things. We make nano cars, C-A-R, cars. They have four wheels, four independently rotating axles. They have little motors in them that... And uh, they're so small, you can park 50,000 of them across the diameter of a human hair. So the diameter of a human hair is this way. And, uh, uh, and so you can, they're, they're extremely small. And uh, uh, we build them using chemical methods from the bottom on up. The, the award that, that Pastor Jim is, is talking about was in 2017, we won the first international nano car race. And uh, we, we, we drove that car, uh, uh, it was 150 nanometers. And so we designed the car and our Austrian friends, friends in Austria drove the car and, and uh, uh, you drive it with, with electrical pulses from an STM tip actually, and uh, drove it 150 nanometers in an hour and a half. The next group behind us came in five hours behind us. It was the Swiss group. And then none of the other international groups were able to complete the race in 30 hours. Uh, we were, we were penalized in that, first of all, our car was too fast for the track. They wouldn't let us change the electrical parameters. Uh, so they said, we said, we'll run on a silver track rather than a gold track because silver runs much slower, uh, because the, it, it, it has adsorbates that slow the car down, but the French penalized us. They said, you're going to have to go 150 nanometers rather than 100 nanometers. And we said, okay, so 50% longer race. And in spite of that, we won. They, they waved the checkered flag, which I recorded on my iPhone. And then after that, they said, no, you didn't win. Uh, uh, and and they, they claimed that the Swiss group that came in five hours behind us, uh, they claimed them as the winner. And, and I, I said, no, this is not right. Uh, uh, this is not right what you're doing. You're falsifying scientific data. And then I, I wrote to the head of the CNRS, which is the institute there, and, and said that I will go public with, with the way you falsified data. And so they, they came back. They said, okay, you won that, but you won it on silver. Another group won it on gold. And they said, well, we were, the silver goes slower. So in, in any case, it was, a, it was an interesting sort of thing. But the, the cancel that, that Pastor Garlow is talking about is that uh, I was advised by two different people from two different funding agencies, federal funding agencies, that I wouldn't be funded anymore. They wouldn't even call me on the phone to say that. They, they came to my office to tell me. And that is because of my position on, on uh, origin of life and evolution, and also my, my, the position that I've taken as a, as a Christian. And that I, I should stop applying because, you know, I would apply for grants and they wouldn't get funded. And it would even surprise the program managers. They would be surprised. And they'd even 
were shocked when I told them I didn't get funded. So somewhere above the program manager level, somebody was nixing the proposals at two different federal, federal agencies. So they tried to cut me off by cutting out my funding. But Jesus, Jesus is the one. And Jesus came through and such that I have more funding than anyone else in this university that have a big research group. And God has just come through over and over again to supply our group in many different ways. And I have a lot of funding support by the grace of God. We work in many different areas. I've started over 10 companies um, uh, and two of them have gone public based on our, our research work here at the university. I'm never an officer or director in those companies by choice. I wanna remain a professor. I wanna be free of that, that sort of conflict of interest. But I love God so much. We work in everything from medicine, from traumatic brain injury, stroke, Down syndrome, Friedrich's ataxia, spinal cord repair. Uh, we work in high performance materials, graphene. We found a new way to make graphene, which is a single atomic sheet of graphite, but single layer, it's one atom thick. And uh, uh, we learned how to make it from waste. So right now graphene sells for 60,000 to $200,000 per ton. We found a way how to make it from waste products for $30 per ton in electricity, where we can take household waste, we can take coal, we can take petroleum coke, uh, we take waste plastic bottles, mixed plastic bottles and flash it. We're in five milliseconds, which is a fraction of a second. We can turn it into graphene with no water, no solvent. Uh, people say, how'd you think of that? I said, I didn't think of it. Uh, one of my students did. And, and, uh, and God just blesses us over and over again. If he doesn't give me the idea, he gives it to my students because I pray almost every day that God would make us like Bezalel. Bezalel in, in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 31, he was, the, he was the man whom Moses commissioned to build the tabernacle. And it says of Bezalel, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge of all sorts of craftsmanship. He says, I know who he is. I know his name. I know his grandfather's name. I know his father's name. And I've filled him with the spirit of God. In fact, Bezalel is the first one in the Bible to say that he was filled with the spirit of God. And he was a craftsman. God took him in the profession that he was in, and he filled him. And then if you look and you read in that chapter 31 and also chapter 36 of, of, of Exodus, it said that he could work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, all three metals. He could work in stone cutting and in stone setting. He could work in fabric and in wood. He could work in perfuming, and he had the ability to teach it. This man was the Renaissance man because God filled him. And I just prayed, Lord, make us like Bezalel. I believe every word in the Bible is true. Every word in the Bible is true. And, uh, and we're seeing this over and over again. Every word is true. And I read it from beginning to end and I meditate on it. I start in Genesis chapter one when I'm, and, and I read all the way through to Revelation chapter 22. When I'm done, I start again. And I've been doing that for over 40 years. I read slowly, pensively, meditatively. I'm not trying to get through the Bible in a year. I, I could spend a week in a paragraph just, just until I feel satisfied, then I move on. And I want the Holy Spirit to just speak with me. I love the word of God. I love the genealogies. I love every part of it, every word of it. God is so good. This is what he does. And he, he, when, we, when we follow him, sometimes as, as, as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, uh, uh, and even if he doesn't, 
and if not, you know, still, as they, as they proclaimed at Dunkirk, and if, if they don't, and if not, you know, whether we go in the fire and come out or whether we, 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 we stay in the fire and burn up, still I will seek him. God is so good. He is so precious to me. The light of God, the goodness of God is funneled through this prism of Jesus Christ to us. Just light and mercy. You know, I read about, I read about God bringing judgment in, in, in the minor prophets, bringing judgment upon people. It's interesting. I don't personally know God like that because he's so good to me. Just like a, the general's grandchild doesn't know what a great general they, they are. They just call them Papa and they climb up on their lap. I only know the goodness of God because it comes funneled to me through Jesus Christ, the love of God. And I love him so much, so much. Uh, I've taken a lot of flack for my position on origin of life, which is very simple, is that scientists are clueless on the origin of life, absolutely clueless. And I keep going after them and showing them again and, and again from their own data. We have no idea how life came about. Nobody's ever made life in a laboratory. This whole thing of a synthetic cell is not the making of life. That's taking an existing cell and adding genetic material to it. But the cell was already existing. And when you look at the, complex, the complexity of a cell, we're actually getting further from solving this problem. Every year we get further. And why is that? Because when we learn the complexity of a cell, it becomes more and more complex every year. So the target keeps moving further and further away from us. And so I say this, and it really bothers the scientific community, but I'm just telling it like it is. And, uh, and very few people have tried to challenge me, very few people. And then I'm gonna, as, soon, as soon as I start asking them questions, their arguments start withering around the edges. I look at their own data and I show them the problems with their own data. And this has caused me to people to wanna to cancel me and shut down my research program. But uh, thankfully, it's not been shut down. God continues to provide. And what he does is he adds blessing upon blessing so that people just stand in awe. And they're like, what can we say? What can we say? And we are just so blessed over and over again of the things that we're discovering every year, the things that we come up with. Jesus is the best, the best, the best in every way. And I love him so. There are just a few people in life, Jim, who when I'm around them, they make me want to be more like Jesus. You are one of those. You touch me at the deepest level. First time we met, first time we met, you, were, you and I were speaking at the Christian Medical Association. And I sat down beside you, not even knowing you never heard your name, you never heard mine. And I found out where you're from. You found out that we were coming to Houston, the cancer center uh, at that time. And you said, where do you stay? And I told you it was this expensive hotel. You said, not anymore. You're staying at my house. And you took me in at that moment and you became a precious brother. And in a, in a little bit, I'm going to ask you if you're okay with this to lead in prayer, because I love not only hearing you pray, but I love watching you pray because the times I've seen you pray, you always go to your knees and you talk to Abba. It may throw you out of camera angle, but I'm going to ask you a little bit to pray the way that you always prefer to pray. When I brought you to Skyline Church to speak, we have had fabulous speakers, and people would say to me, that is the best speaker we have ever had. It's because your life emulates Christ in such a way, the Holy Spirit conviction 
it's coming on all the people listening right now. Holy Spirit convictions. You have, you have preached a mighty sermon just by your life. I'm going to, without breaking the sacredness of this moment, ask some technical questions. Then we're going to come back to the sort of the theme. Uh, people are going to wonder, how can something so tiny that you can line 50,000 of them side by side and still be within the scope of a human hair, how in the world can you race something that is so tiny? How do you even see it? So in layman's terminology, how do you race a nano car? These nanoparticles. Right. So, so, so a nano car really looks like a car. It has, has wheels and axles and a chassis and, and a little motor. And so what happens is there's these motors called Feringa motors and you shine a light on them and they will spin unidirectionally in one direction. And, and, uh, and as they spin, they push the car along. When my, when my boys were young, they're, all my kids are grown now. When my boys were young, they had these cars that could, it didn't, the top and the bottom were the same. It didn't matter which way it landed on the surface and the front and back were the same. So it could go either direction. And the, the axle could spin 360 degrees relative to the chassis. Some of you might know the types of little cars that I'm talking about and kids kind of race these. And, and as I looked at that, we built that into the molecule so that by, by giving this flexibility to the chassis, it could go up atomic steps and it, it wouldn't get stuck in things very easily. And what we do in this particular race, uh, we, you, you were, we were dictated by an electric field. So you take a, what's called a scanning tunneling microscope tip. You couldn't touch the car with it. And, and you set up a racetrack where you, you, you touch the tip to a surface, you pull up an atom from the surface and, and, and you, you have uh, uh, goalposts that are an atom that are the finish line. And you have a couple other atoms you got to pull up because you got to go around one, around another. And then what you do is you put the tip in front of the car and you apply an electric field gradient and the tip then the car then follows the tip. So the tip moves in front and the car follows it. And you can see the tip by rastering across, you can see the car by rastering the tip over the surface. And every time the tip comes near a nano car, what's called the Van der Waals repulsions, it will ride up on top of the car and image it. And so as soon as it comes up, you, you see the car, you see the wheels and it images it. So it's a, it's a deconvolution of an electrical image based on the, the density of state of the molecule, which gets kind of technical, but it just says that you can image it not using your eyes, but using an electric field. And so what we've done is we've taken these, these motors and we've used them now to drill into cells to kill them. So we're killing cancers with these, we're killing super bacteria. Super bacteria is slated to kill uh, uh, 10 million people a year by the year 2030. I'm sorry, by the year 2050. So what I tell students is by the time you're my age, 10 million people a year will be dying from super bacteria. MRSA, for, for one, is, is, is a super bacteria. Uh, and, and, uh, and these drill right through them and kill them. And, uh, and then we've made now a whole new series of motors that don't kill by drilling, but kill, the, the, we call them molecular jackhammers, where they, 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 they bang into the, the cell membrane and kill it. And so, so what we do is we design them bottom on up. So we make a billion, billion of them at a time using chemical methods, the same way your pharmaceuticals are made, we build them up, but we put wheels on, we put a chassis on. And so this is, this is kind of what we do. It, it, it sounds like a lot of fun to watch a race like that. Is, that. is that a bunch of guys looking at powerful microscopes or is this, you're watching on a screen? You're, watch, you're watching on a screen. They had us all in a room. 
and and uh, and and we they they're you're watching on a screen, and usually it's a graduate student who spent a lot of time learning how to control that particular type of car that we built is driving it, and uh, uh, and it's just giving voltage pulses and moving a mouse uh, uh, properly. And then you have judges watching you to make sure that you never touch the car with your tip and uh, you're imaging it and, and everything is recorded. And uh, uh, but you're, you're watching on a, on a computer screen. Yeah, but you're not doing this to do races in Paris. You're doing this because it's going to save people's lives. That's right. As, as we learn to build from the bottom up, like we're, we're doing, we're using it to kill off cancer cells and super bacteria cells. And and we're trying, for example, to use it to wipe out adipocytes where you'd be able to just have nanomachines go in and then you come with a light source, which is your power source. And you, you'd be able to shave fat off uh, in this way. And, and when, once, you, once you break open the cells, then, then, then the body would just, just absorb this. And so you'd be able to uh, have light sculpting and, and uh, then, then we wanna move it into other domains. So for example, if you, if you look at the way everything in nature is built, a tree is built from the bottom up. You don't make that tree from some larger tree. You, you take, you, what happens is, is molecules come together and, and uh, uh, you get these cells and these cells then start multiplying and you get this tree, it's built from the bottom up. Generally, what we do is we build things from the top down, but, but uh, uh, everything in nature is built from the bottom up. So can we use nanocars to bring in atomic material and build things just like enzymes build things. So when we, when we eat breakfast uh, uh, a few hours later, that could be part of our ear or part of our nose. How did that happen? It's because these, these little nanomachines called enzymes that God has designed, they, they, these come in and, 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 and take these molecules, break them down and reassemble them at different parts. And that's what we wanna do with the nanocars. We wanna be able to mimic this type of thing using human designed machines to build from the bottom up so that in a hundred years, we would build skyscrapers where you just bring in raw materials and these little nanomachines start constructing these using voltage pulses to control their movement. And in mass, they would, they would raise it up. This is what that jolted me when the, you and I walked across the Skyline Church campus where I was then pastoring. We were building our, our, our largest building, the main auditorium with 2000 seats plus a whole lot of with a gymnasium and cafes and, and a chapel and all kinds of things attached to it. So it, it was quite a structure for us, many, many, many millions of dollars. And you stood there and looking at our construction and you said, you pointed out, I said, that blade of grass is far more complex than what you're building right here. And that grips Absolutely, absolutely. That If you look at the complexity within a blade of grass or even within a single cell of that blade, blade of grass, it is utterly amazing. These are little factories, little machines that they're moving material back and forth where they build these scaffolds and they pick up material and move it across to another location. And, you, and then they break down the scaffold to build it somewhere else. And each cell in that blade of grass is doing that in this coordinated fashion so that this thing can grow. This is utterly amazing. And so what we build is really trivial compared to what is built all around us continually in living systems. God is amazing. He's utterly amazing. <laughs> you have, a, is it three professorial appointments at three different areas at the Rice University in Houston? Yeah, but, but that, it, it, it's, 
it's not as flashy as it sounds. I'm, I'm a chemist. I'm trained as a chemist. So I have an appointment in the Department of Chemistry. I also have a deport, uh, an appointment in material science and nanoengineering, which is a, I, I work a lot in the area of materials and nano. So I have an appointment there. And then I have another appointment in the, in the Department of Computer Science. And, and that, was, that was given to me years ago because we were building what we had originally called a, a synthetic brain, trying to have molecules assembled into a computing device where we didn't know the order or the arrangement of them, just like I don't know the neural inter interconnect pathway of my brain, but my brain knows enough about itself to be able to use it and do the computation, even though I don't consciously know anything about the neural interconnect pathway. We wanted to do the same thing in molecules. And, and in order to solve this, we were going to have to, to uh, solve a, a series of nonlinear differential equations. And my colleagues in computer science said, you know, you'd never be able to get this solved. And so I recruited these two students who were a, a, a couple, a husband and wife team. And uh, they were going to they were going to uh, uh, leave the, the, the computer science and, and applied mathematics department because they felt it wasn't challenging enough. And I went there and, and uh, they were believers and I begged them to come and work for me. And I gave, I said, I'll give you something challenging. And I didn't tell them that the professors said that it couldn't be solved and they solved it. And so, so, so I, I got this appointment in that department. But again, I, I just am the recipient of, of being surrounded by, by many smart students whose, whose brains are all in their twenties. And so their neurons are firing very, very quickly. And, and uh, then they graciously add my name to the papers that they write. What is the closest breakthrough in medical science you anticipate based upon the nanocars and nanotechnology you're talking about? Um, well, what, what we hope to do is, 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 I think that we will get there fairly soon to be able to really wipe out cancer cells that in a way that they, they can't get away from us. So if you, if you treat cancer right now with a chemotherapy agent, the cancer cells learn from that. They, they die, but they learn from this. And, and what happens is a few of them survive. Those survivors start to multiply so that you can't use the same chemotherapy agent again. It's not gonna be effective. The same with superbacteria. The superbacteria, the, the few that survive have learned about how people try to attack it with drugs and then it, 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 it mutates to, to protect itself so that it, it can never be hit by this again. And what we have come up with, these little nanomachines, they don't kill by a chemical method, they kill by a mechanical method. It actually drills holes in it, it breaks holes in it. So it's a mechanical action, just like cancer can't resist a scalpel, you just cut the thing out. This is a mechanical action. So we really wanna bring this mechanical action at the nanometer scale to address these diseases. The other thing is the, the, the healing of spinal cords. Uh, I think you've probably seen where we, where we, we healed up that uh, uh, spinal cord of a, of a, of a rat uh, that was totally cut in two. We put one drop of a polyethylene glycol solution of graphene nanoribbons, 1% graphene nanoribbons and polyethylene glycol in. And after two weeks, the rat gets up and starts walking again. After three weeks, it's running again. And so, so the healing of spinal cords, where we tap into the biological system, where we allow a, a framework for the neurons to grow top to bottom and bottom to top and reconnect. And then we, we rely on the plasticity of the brain, the ability of the brain to remap the neuron connections. And then, and then once it, the brain remaps it, 
then it starts walking again. So that's, that's what we'd like to see. And then in the material science area, we're really trying to take human, human generated waste, the waste streams that we generate to be able to really recycle lithium ion batteries really cheaply and cleanly. Right now, the methods are a mess to be able to take urban mining where we don't have to dig in the ground anymore. We have so much waste that has all of these materials in it. Can we reclaim that and use that so we don't have to be digging holes in the ground that we reclaim this waste to be using hydrocarbon fuels for power with zero CO2 emissions, hydrocarbon fuels with zero CO2 emissions. So, so you know, th these are some of the breakthroughs that we'd like to see that I think are certainly within reach in the next decade. That is just overpoweringly encouraging. That's, that's just stunning what you said. Shifting topics, uh, two things I'd like to talk about, kind of your, your website where people can go, because you have a lot on your website, your personal website. And then secondly, You've memorized scripture and you have a, quite a prayer life. You've memorized scripture. Do you want to say a word about scripture memorization and then about your website? Okay. So, so my, my website is jmtour, James Mitchell Tour, jmtour.com. Or you can just Google Jim Tour, boom, it'll come up. And I also have a, a YouTube channel, DR James Tour. So if you, if you go to YouTube and you type in DR James Tour, uh, for Dr. James Tour, Dr. James Tour, then you'd see a bunch of videos that we're posting there. So during COVID, I really started ramping up the the YouTube and 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 uh, putting out a lot of content there. Um, uh, about scripture memorization, uh, it, it's something that I've always done. It's for me, it's not just going in and trying to rote memorize a scripture. I take scriptures that really interest me, that that the Holy Spirit has caught my eye as I'm meditating daily on the scripture. And I say, this is, this is too good just to, to pass up. And I will just be reading it over and over again and thinking about this. And then it becomes a part of my memory. And when my kids were growing up, I mean, I would always wake them up at 5.30 in the morning from the time they got home from the hospital. And we would have family devotions together. I'd wake up long before that and spend time with the Lord. And at, at 5 a.m., I'd bring my wife uh, a cup of tea, and her tea is very complex because uh, uh, she she wanted chai tea, so it's four different spices, two tea bags, milk, and and uh, about that much milk in it, and it has to be exactly a certain color. And uh, I'd bring her that in the morning at five a.m. with her Bible right next to her, and she'd have her own time from five to five thirty, and then I'd be getting the kids up at five thirty and and bring them out to the family room, and we'd. We'd, I'd read to them from Hurlbut's story of the Bible, Hurlbut's, H-U-R-L-B-U-T apostrophe S, Hurlbut's story of the Bible, which was written like in the 1920s, which tracks with the Bible and it's beautifully done and kids can get so much out of it. Adults get so much out of it. And then, and then, uh, um, then we would memorize scripture together when they were little, just little ones, all they, I would say, the Lord is my, and all they had to say was shepherd. And, and, uh, and then as they got older, we would memorize like all of Luke chapter six, whole chapters we would memorize. And when you do that, you go through the day and issues come up and boom, you've got this verse, you've got this verse that addresses exactly that. And to me, the richness of the word of God, I would rather speak one word, one sentence from God's word than all the philosophies of, of human beings. I mean, one sentence of scripture just breaks a man open. The power of the scriptures, the power of the resurrection, to speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to talk about this, that, that, if, that, that if you believe in your heart, 
that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And it's, I mean, it's so profound. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. When God says it shall happen, it, it can't not happen. This is, it, it, this is when he says shall or will, I mean, boom, it has to happen. You see, in science, we chase, we chase nature trying to describe it. The word of God is totally different. The word of God speaks and the universe conforms to the word of God. God speaks. It has to happen. The universe comes in conformity to this. It can't, it can't help but happen. God's word defines the universe. It defines what's here before us. It is so rich. And when he says, as Charles Spurgeon says, oh, how I love his shalls and wills. When he says this, it has to happen. And so it's so wonderful to read this verse and to say, this has got to happen. It's just got to happen because the universe will conform to this. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just thankful to call you brother. You amaze me, Lord. You amaze, you amaze me, Jim, what, what the Lord's done through you. You amaze me. I just, I praise God for you. I'm going to, uh, going to ask you to pray in the way you always do on your knees. And uh, we're going to close off this, this session. I just love to hang on to you forever. But we're going to ask you to close in prayer. But you have so blessed us. It's so special to get to be with you again. Mm -hmm. uh, lead us in prayer. Abba, thank you so much for your mercies because you are so good in every way. We remember Jesus, how he came to this earth and lived an absolutely perfect life Blessed be Jesus, because he lived a perfect life, and he taught us what it means to live before you, Father. He taught us what it means to live before you. He taught us what it means to love, what it means to give selflessly, total self-donation, one for the other. That every thought, every word, every action of yours was in our best interest. Oh, Lord Jesus, Blessed be your name, forever and ever blessed be your name. You are so good in every way. We remember then also your death on the cross. You said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't know what we're doing, yet you forgive us, and you proclaim forgiveness upon us. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. You are so good. And Father, we remember our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now. Father, protect them, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you would break the back of the enemy in this place, that you would save those people, that many people would come to Jesus as a result of this. Father, your mercy and your blessing and your protection upon those fine people. Protect them, I pray. Father, I pray that you would be breaking the back of the enemy even in that land. Oh, Father, your mercies and grace abound. Father, as it's cold, as it's, there's just snow on the ground and so much happening, and people without food that just don't have food coming in, Father, strengthen them, I pray. And Father, I pray that you'd break the will of the Russian soldiers, that they would say, enough, this is not what, what we're here for. Father, that you'd even demoralize them and break their will to fight. 
And Father, that they would turn around and go right back. Oh, Father, your mercy and your grace abound, I pray. And through this, I pray that many Russians would get saved too. Father, have mercy on those people that, that, that have to live under this tyrannical government. Father, have mercy on them. Lord, we remember you and your kindness. Remember us, Lord, and protect us, I pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Glory be to Jesus forever and ever. Glory be to him. And in his name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.